Welcome to Health Policy Week, where Duke's Student Collaborative on Health Policy will be featuring professors and students' health policy research and work across campus. My name is Angela Fong, and I'm co-editor-in-chief with Rio Mohan for the Scope podcast. In this episode, we'll be doing a deep dive into the subject of balkanization by Adrian Cayazzo. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to a special Health Policy Week edition of The Scope. Our student-run and recorded podcast is put on by the Student Collaborative on Health Policy, a student group that works with Duke's Margola Center on all health policy-related matters. I'm Adrian, a sophomore at Duke studying public policy and global health. Today, we will be discussing the balkanization of medicine, a relatively new phenomenon in U.S. healthcare caused by a number of factors, such as the increased number of specialists, and the consequential decreased number of primary care physicians. This situation has caused many problems. The cost of healthcare has risen tremendously, the quality of care has been reduced, and more. The term to balkanize means to divide a region into smaller, mutually hostile states or groups, stemming from the repeated colonization and decolonization of the Balkans regions. In this context, it refers to the fact that medicine is divided into many different subspecialties. As a result, doctors know very specific information about their specific field, but lack knowledge about other fields. Due to this, patients often have to go to many different doctors to solve a singular health concern. For example, if I went to my primary care physician for a stomach ache, they could refer me to a gastroenterologist, a radiologist, an allergist, and the list could truly go on and on. This can be a real problem for patients. One article in Time Magazine cited the case of a 50-year-old patient who was admitted to the hospital for shortness of breath. After a month-long stay costing upwards of $100,000, he was seen by 17 specialists and underwent 12 procedures, only to experience little to no change in his condition. Each day he was in the hospital, His insurance was billed over $1,000 just for being there. While this may be an extreme case, situations like these do happen, resulting in exorbitant medical cost for patients. Currently, there's a huge boom in becoming a specialist, which causes an inevitable decrease in the number of primary care physicians. In Big Doctoring in America by Dr. Fitzhugh Mullen, he writes that in the 1940s, Around 75% of physicians in America were general practitioners. 30 years later, only 25% of doctors were general practitioners. This stratification has only gotten worse as time has gone on. One major reason for this is due to the drastic differences in salary between general practitioners and specialists. According to a recent Medscape survey, physician compensation for specialists was 45.6% more than what primary care providers earned in the past year. While salaries vary between specialties, it is clear that even the lowest paid specialty typically makes much more than general practitioners, upwards of over $100,000. While this is reflective of the increased number of years that specialists need to train, this difference in salary drives the lack of desire to pursue primary care medicine. Another contributing factor is the lack of professional reward and a socially disapproving role of being a primary care physician. 
Many students are choosing a different route than family medicine due to increased salary and perceived superiority. This results in more strain on primary care doctors as they have to see more patients because there are less doctors in the field, leading to an increase in referrals. This overspecification of doctors has resulted in an emphasis on depth over breadth in medicine. This means that doctors might be so highly focused in one area of medicine that they are unable to focus on the cumulative health of a patient. This results in doctors passing around patients like a baton in a relay race when they don't know the answers to a patient's problems. This leads to more referrals than should be medically necessary for the patient. On the surface, specialization of medicine seems efficient. There's so much medical knowledge in existence, dividing and conquering makes the most sense. However, recent trends in medicine have created extremely niche categories, creating over 120 recognized specialties and subspecialties recognized by the American Association of Medical Colleges. In contrast, Canada has 67 subspecialties, and France has 52. It's meant to provide a higher quality of care, as doctors know more specific information about a certain topic, and in certain respects, it does. As a result, rare diseases are being more easily identified and treated, resulting in more lives saved. In addition, research in the medical field is getting more specific, causing new advancements and treatment protocols. However, it also comes with its own set of problems. The fact that people would have to see multiple doctors to receive treatment creates a fragmented and disorganized healthcare system that is expensive and can produce a reduced quality of care, especially for those with coexisting conditions. There are many specialists involved in a person's care and they don't communicate with each other, causing millions of medication errors and 250,000 avoidable deaths each year. In addition, Many redundant tests are ordered, which drives up the cost of healthcare. Each specialist a patient has to see adds up to more copays, which the patient has to pay, and the more time a patient spends seeking care. Not only does this waste a patient's time, but having to pursue care from so many different doctors can be extremely exasperating. Many don't have the resources to pursue care, such as the cost transportation to and from appointments, so they stop seeking treatment, leading to a higher number of deaths. As a byproduct of specialization, physician referrals have increased from 4.8 of patients to 9.3 between the years 1999 and 2009, according to a 2012 report in the Archives of Internal Medicine. It's not just a lack of knowledge that has caused this increase, but also the immense amount of pressure and strain primary care doctors are under today, caused by the lack of primary care physicians entering the field. According to a paper published in Health Affairs, one projection estimates that by 2020, the shortage of primary care physicians will balloon to 40,000 physicians. A more recent estimate suggests a gap of 52,000 by 2025. Capacity is declining because only 9% of U.S. medical students choose family medicine and general internal medicine. The ratio of doctors to patients is far too low, and as a result, doctors typically only have about 10 to 15 minutes to see their patient, which includes entering their computer notes and prescriptions. 
This can make the doctor into a referring machine just to save time. In a recent survey by the National Physicians Foundation, only 11% of patients and 14% of physicians said that they felt their visits offered enough time to provide the highest quality standard of care. Considering 90% of patients said they felt a solid patient-physician relationship was the most essential element of a quality healthcare system, this is very concerning. Not only do statistics suggest that there isn't a sufficient number of primary care physicians in the field contributing to the existing primary care physicians feeling burnt out and stressed, the patients feel it too. In that same survey, 31% of patients said that they felt that their physician was overworked. By 2016, the number of adult primary care physicians leaving the practice will exceed the number entering. Clearly, this existing issue is only just going to get worse unless steps are taken against this. The lack of primary care physicians has created a demand capacity mismatch where there are not enough primary care physicians to meet the demand. Many socioeconomic disadvantaged groups cannot afford to visit specialists and their primary care physician is often the only person that they can go to for medical assistance. Finding ways to increase the number of practicing primary care physicians is key to reducing health disparities. In one study published in the American Journal of Public Health, computer simulations were run using a model that was developed. They found that eliminating primary care physician shortages, improved access to care for the disadvantaged, and reduced health inequality by 21%. There was also a 16% decrease in death. The cost of healthcare remained the same because people were able to get their health issues resolved by a primary care physician as opposed to needing a referral to a specialist. The only way to make lasting and meaningful change would be to implement policy changes. Referrals to specialists, when necessary, are great. However, one physician survey suggests that 26.2% of referrals are inappropriate, meaning there was no medical reason to have referred to a specialist. There need to be safeguards in place to make sure that something such as specialist referrals that are intended to be helpful aren't unintentionally hurting patients in the long run. One way this has been done was through the passage of the Affordable Care Act. It included two temporary fee increases specifically for primary care physicians, including the Medicaid fee bump and the Primary Care Incentive Program. This policy increased the compensation for general practitioners at a rate almost double that of specialists. However, general practitioners still made much less money. Policies like this, which increase the pay of general practitioners, would bridge the salary gap between general practitioners and specialists, therefore promoting doctors entering the workforce as primary care physicians. Another possible solution could be the establishment of quota systems. Currently, federally supported residency systems for medical training have been capped by Congress and have been for over 20 years. A similar system could be adopted, which would require a certain number of physicians to enter a primary care residency before other specialized residency programs can be filled. One way to prevent opposition to this is to expand the scope of care of primary care physicians, meaning to broaden the things that they are able to do, 
mainly in terms of procedures. The effect of this is threefold. Firstly, this will lessen the number of referrals as primary care physicians would be able to do more by themselves. By doing so, they are able to bill more, which would increase their salaries. Finally, by allowing PCPs to do more, this will uplift their reputation in the medical community, hopefully making people satisfied with their position that the quota system would establish. In addition, the development of education campaigns, which emphasize the importance of primary care physicians and their role in medicine, can work to better the perception of this field and increase the desire to become a primary care physician. Another option would be to expand the scope of care for existing medical personnel. Many of the services performed by primary care physicians, such as immunizations, counseling, and health coaching, can be performed by existing staff, such as nurses, social workers, and health educators. These people already have the skills to perform these tasks, but due to a myriad of laws and regulations, they are unable to perform them. One study published in Health Affairs suggests that 25% of chronic care could be reallocated to non-clinician health coaches, which would save 9% of physician time. By allowing PCPs to share the burden with other members of their team, they can save time, which contributes to less burnout and more time to spend with patients. The passage of the Affordable Care Act and the subsequent pay increase of general physicians was a great step in the right direction. Further efforts like this from policymakers to uplift the position of being a primary care physician and make it more appealing are crucial to solving this problem and making healthcare more accessible. Thank you to Angela and Ria, our editors-in-chief and the entire SCOPE team. And most of all, thank you to our listeners. Tune in next week to hear the latest news from The Scope.